Happy spooky season. Happy Halloween. <laughs> and welcome to Pale Blue Pod, the astronomy podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but still want to be its friend. Yes, it's true. I'm Corinne, a ghost and a funny person. <laughs> and I'm happy to be here. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Moya McTeer. I'm an astrophysicist and a folklorist and a witch. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy to be here <laughs> at the best time of year. I fucking love spooky season. And yes, at the beginning of this episode, I did say Halloween because it's too amazing for just one day. It is. I wear a week of costumes. I think you should. And I think that the worst is when Halloween is like, okay, it's over. Like, it's done. We're packing it up and it's put, it's getting mm. put away. And a weekday Halloween is fun because all the days leading up to it can still be Halloween. Yes. And then afterwards, you're like, well, I still have my Halloween hangover to recover from. Exactly. Like, not actual hangover, but it's like like the vibe yes, hangover. Yes, spooky vibes. Like you still feel around. like spooky vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I just, I love Halloween because it keeps the Christmas people from creeping too early. <laughs> Literally, into the season. yesterday is like, oh, I cannot wait for Christmas. <laughs> No, no. I mean, the other, ugh, a couple years ago, I saw someone put up Christmas lights before Thanksgiving. Okay, that I'm for not the first into. time. I think I that like, like, I do feel you have to wait till after Thanksgiving. Yeah, but I used to work at a marketing agency, and all the designers were based in the Philippines, and they would go. It was they would change all their Slack pictures to Christmas on September first. Like, <gasps> the Christmas season starts September 1. And at first I thought it was, like, a prank. Like, oh, they're being goofy with, like, because I was new. And uh-huh. they are funny and great people, but that was not a prank. That was, like, <laughs> that was legitimately, like, it's Christmas time now. Wow. I mean, I get it. Cultural differences. But um, nothing is more sacred to me than Halloween, except for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love a no-pressure holiday. Like, my yeah. husband and I were like, what is the best, ho- like, what's the best holiday? And this is not the right answer, but we were like, something kind of like the 4th of July, where you're not getting anybody gifts, and nobody, mm-hmm. nothing's expected of you or of anybody else, but you're, you have full permission to be relaxing, to be, like, doing something you like. And mm. I feel like Halloween is, is pretty close to that. Yeah. Unless no you gifts. feel pressure to, like, go to a party and you don't want to or whatever. But, like, I think now that I'm older, Halloween can be whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can watch a movie. Yeah. You can eat, like, a whole bag of candy yourself. Mm-hmm. You can you can go see children, if that's your thing. <laughs> you can go look at the children. <laughs> <laughs> you can give them candy, too. Spooky. It's just, spooky. Yeah, it's just, it's a great time of year. Um And we are honoring this great time of the year with a very special episode of Pale Blue Pod. Normally, we are here to tell you space isn't scary. Mm -hmm. Space is your friend. The universe is not out to get you. But today, folks, we are going to be talking about the things that actually scare us in space. Because there there are some things. And um, it's the time to talk about it. Yeah, I'm really excited for this. A, because it's fun to have like a different format but b i think you will soothe me in some of these absurd fears that i have (laughs) yes that is that is the goal i also think that we can talk about about each fear but even though we are saying these things are scary that doesn't necessarily mean that they are uh, an actual threat to us no just like 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 hypothetically conceptually hypothetically yeah yes oh i love that conceptually scary yeah so um we are recording this episode in a spooky location to go along with the spooky theme corinne did not make that noise 
A ghost Who made did? a ghost made that noise. <laughs> <laughs> we are um, in the Howard Street Cemetery in Salem, Massachusetts. This is um, a, a cemetery where some of the people who were tried uh, in the witch trials were um, punished and buried. So this is a historic location. Yeah, and I a very spooky location. I love Salem. I, I love have Salem the best. so much chicken Caesar salad wrap of my life in Salem. (laughs) I know there's like historical things to love about Salem. I just love that one chicken Caesar salad wrap I had in high school there. (laughs) I would give anything for that right now. We're going to find you that wrap. We are going to find that wrap wrap this this episode. Yeah. Um, I had, I I don't know if it was um, the best corn dog of my life, but looking back through my memories, uh, there are some corn dogs that I remember better than others. And um, the most memorable corn dog was in Salem for sure. Maybe Salem has an amazing food scene. (laughs) I don't think it was the food. It's like we're listing bar food. Yeah, I think it was the fact that I was in this carnival Mm -hmm. in a a city I had grown up reading about and, and like, drooling over, Mm -hmm. potentially visiting one day. And um, it was just, you know, the vibe of the moment made that corndog fucking delicious. Yeah. But maybe it was just the perfect Caesar salad I think it. I think it was. Well, we'll test it. Yeah, we'll have to go test it. After this episode. Yeah. I hope you remember where you got it. I remember Um, the building was red. So that that should be That'll easy help enough. Us. That'll help us. You know, we we're I'm here for you. We're gonna go on this. We quest. are finding this. Mm-hmm. The ghost will lead the way. Yes, I think that by the end uh, of this recording, the ghosts will love us. Oh yeah, I think. Why they, wouldn't they? I think they're gonna love us. Oh yeah, yeah. I can see one peeking over that headstone over there, <laughs> looking looking a little curious. Hey, bud. <laughs> we'll be here for the next hour. Um, okay, before we get to our fun episode, we have the answers to the quiz. Yay, pop quiz. There are no grades. There are no prizes. Um, but here are the answers, because learning is its own prize. It's right? so true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our first question that we asked you in last week's pop quiz was, do solar eclipses happen during a full moon or a new moon? And the answer is that a solar eclipse always happens during a new moon when the moon is between us and the sun, and then a lunar eclipse always happens during a full moon when the moon is on the other side of the Earth from the sun's perspective. Okay, and then we asked, what are the four fundamental forces of the universe? Bonus points if you can arrange them by order of strength, which we did. The weakest is gravity, followed by weak, followed by electromagnetic, and then strong. Yay. Gotta love those nuclear forces. Mm -hmm. Our third question was about how long does it take a G-type star like the sun to fuse the hydrogen in its core? And that is about 10 billion years. Our sun is currently about halfway through that. Mm -hmm. Okay. If an object is redshifted, is it moving towards us or away from us? And the answer is away from us. Question number five, what is my, Moya's, favorite method for finding exoplanets? And that is, of course, transit photometry. I'm such a transit girly. I love them so much. (laughs) How could we forget? Um, Next question is, what is the largest moon in the solar system? Ganymede around Jupiter. It is larger than Mercury. That's a big moon. Huge. big. Number seven was uh, the ultimate fate of the universe depends on the long-term behavior of what mysterious force, and that is dark energy. How many constellations are there in the sky according to the IAU? And the answer is 88. 
we listed them all in we our Constellation all. episodes. Uh, and it was question number eight, which I uh, did intentionally because <laughs> I'm weird like that. Um, qu- question number nine. What is the biggest single dish telescope in the entire world? That is uh, the FAST telescope in China. It stands for the 500 meter aperture spherical telescope. Oh, what a fun acronym for that. Mm-hmm. Just mis- ignoring a whole bunch of words. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I love when acronyms do that. Just skip around. Uh, finally, true listeners know, how many siblings does I have? And the answer is two. <laughs> a twin and a sister. <laughs> Yay! Yay. Uh, well, thank you for, for joining us on our first pop quiz. And now let's let's talk about some spooky things in space. I can't wait. So, listeners, Corinne and I have each picked five things that actually scare us. We're going to go one at a time, listing our five, and then the other will rank from uh, least to most scary the other Mm -hmm. person's list, and then we'll switch. So, Corinne will go first, saying what she thinks is scary about space, and then I will go after the mid-break. So, Corinne, Uh, what's scary? Okay, this was hard for me. Ultimately, the scariest thing about space to me is, like, the unknown or just, like, the fact that there's no, there are not answers to everything. Mm. And I did not officially put that on my list because it's so broad. That's a meta fear. Yeah. But I'll start with, I'm afraid of how cold it is or how cold it's depicted to be Mm. through, like, media and film. I, I don't like being cold. And I think I'm very afraid of, like sudden cold like Mm. that's kind of what's prevented me from like jumping in the ocean or the lake or like whatever it's like oh but i'm gonna be cold for that moment and it's fleeting Mm -hmm. in real life or like on earth but i'm afraid of that in space of just like what if i was suddenly suitless Mm. and there goes my helmet and i freeze right well there are there are other things that would happen before you freeze but that like that's a valid fear because Yeah, the universe on average is very cold. The average temperature of of the universe, based on our observations of the cosmic microwave background, is like 2.7 degrees Kelvin. Kelvin? It's negative 455 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, so quite cold. Quite cold, (laughs) yes. Um, But that is just the average temperature in space. And, uh, you know, you have to account for all of the the empty spaces where Mm -hmm. there's nothing but, like, gas and dust. But also all of the stars that are literally millions of degrees. Yeah, so that's, that's an average. But can I tell you something that I think will make you feel better about this? Yes. You would not freeze. Uh, You would not freeze to death if you were suddenly left drifting in the vacuum of space without your suit and helmet. Um, And that is because the the reason we feel cold here on Earth, that sensation is heat being drawn from our body. Um, I Mm -hmm. think we've talked in some of the stellar episodes about different modes of transporting heat. You have conduction, you have Uh, convection and you have radiation. Both conduction and convection kind of require um, a medium to carry the material. So conduction is when you are actively touching the thing that Mm -hmm. you're taking the heat from or giving heat to. And then convection is through a a fluid medium. That's why we've talked about it in stars and with boiling water. But radiation is where there's like not really any point of contact. Um, But for radiation to happen, you do still need a medium to carry away the material. When you're standing outside in the winter, 
that's the air. Like the air is leaching material away from you. Oh. In space, there's no air. Um, so it actually is not a dense enough medium for radiation to be a very effective method of transporting heat away from your body. So the the cold vacuum of space does not leach you of your heat. So it I just keep doesn't my heat. give you extra heat. Yeah. And I suffocate instead. Yes. And um, <laughs> because of the pressure or like the the lack of pressure, your blood vessels might explode. Perfect. Yeah, I but, it, but the temperature them. is not the issue. <laughs> okay, good to know. So I don't need to get a great coat. I'll just forget about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just go in your summer skivvies and you'll be fine. <laughs> but it really it really is all about the the pressure. That's good to know yeah. because I I feel like a lot of the um I don't know if a lot but I have a vision in my head of like from some movie of just an astronaut floating in space and like there's icicles on their face. Yeah. Uh, that is a common thing that they get wrong. I myself have, have gotten this wrong in the past where I would watch a sci-fi movie where they showed that and I'd be like, great. Yeah, like they, yeah. they should be very, they should flash freeze. Yeah. But no, um, it's actually not, not the case. I have had to edit episodes of Pale Blue Pod to remove times when I've said <gasps> that before. One time. One time. I've learned since Every then. episode we whispered at the end. <laughs> we have to cut it. <laughs> Just to give Misha an extra thing to Just cut to out. Just to give you. <laughs> okay, my second fear is a comet or a meteor or some space mm. mass colliding with Earth. Oh, that's real. That's valid. Yeah. And it feels like it just kind of reminds you of your powerlessness over, like, mm. nature. Yeah. And I hate it. I s- oh, okay. <laughs> I s- you, you, like you went to hating it. I went to, and I just love knowing my place in in the hierarchy here. I love knowing that I'm not as powerful as nature and that if she wanted, she could come through and ruin my shit. But it's uh, it's nice because I know she can, but that she hasn't. Yeah, that's that is nice. I haven't thought about that part. I really focus on the bad side of things. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what our brains are primed to do. Yeah, it's my brain is trying to protect me in this scenario. I think I like not being in charge. I love that I'm not I'm not in charge of this, but I don't like not having a say. Mm. I think I'm just again, this is all (laughs) from the movies. All of my fears are from like mostly the movies. I'm just imagining watching the news and everyone's like, the comet is coming. Mm-hmm. Like, and don't look up. Yes. And I'm like, yeah. w- that period of time is what I think I'm more afraid of. Not the not the actual crash or, like, the aftermath. Hopefully, it I die quick. But mm-hmm. the anxiety leading up to it, I can't, I can't take. Mm, that's really fair. Um, this is kind of a concern that we have to have. We live in a solar system where there are multiple belts of rock and other junk that are swirling around uh, the sun, occasionally having gravitational interactions with planets that fling those chunks of rock towards the inner solar system. We have the asteroid belt. We have the Oort cloud outside the orbit of Neptune and Pluto. Like, that's a it's a real possibility. But to assuage some of the fears here, there is a a whole department at NASA um, and I'm sure other space agencies around the world have something similar 
monitoring near-Earth asteroids and um, doing very complicated math to figure out what the orbits of those asteroids will be over time and uh, like combining that with math that tells us where the Earth will be over time. So they can actually look at these paths and figure out if they're going to intersect. Um, and they are pretty damn accurate mm-hmm. and pretty good at predicting ahead of time. Um, and as far as I have heard, all those um, bodies being monitored by the near-Earth asteroid people are not on a collision course Ugh. with the Earth. Thank God. Yeah. But and also, I need to remember that space is quite big. Like, I am bumping into things all the time, but that doesn't, like, I am not living in the scale of the universe. Right, 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 right. Yeah, remember, um, or, like, oh, it's a small world? It is. We yeah. live on a very small world where everything is condensed so tightly together. Mm-hmm. Um, and still, you interacting or you running into someone that you knew from high school, that's a rare occurrence. Mm-hmm. So, like, take that phenomenon and and magnify it like a hundred thousand times for interactions in space. Uh, okay, that, that's that is comforting. Okay, and yet okay. It, if it was happening tomorrow, obviously yes, <laughs> horrified. Uh, justifiably so. Yeah. Um, even I, I, I could not get through. Don't look up. Me neither. But not because of the science, because of the science communication. Mm. I think perhaps the most narcissistic or egotistical thought I've ever had was, if I had been in Jennifer Lawrence's shoes, the Earth might not have ended. <laughs> <laughs> so I could not watch the rest of that That's movie. so funny. <laughs> I, have, I have a very normal-sized ego. It's fine. No, that's good, Moya. <laughs> um, but even I know that we can't, we can't track everything and if i turn on npr one day and i hear that news story i'm just gonna have to accept it yeah and then figure out what i want to do with my remaining moments yeah and i've thought about it and i I know i know what i'm gonna do in my remaining moments so so i'm not that scared i can't say what i'm gonna do on air i was gonna say what are you gonna do <laughs> it's disgusting i can't i can't <laughs> share that with strangers <laughs> i would find consenting adults and do fun things until I died. That's a bonus episode for the Patreons. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That would be so crazy. Uh, okay. okay. But uh, are you feeling a little bit better about that? I think so. I think it's, I just need to remember that's, I think one of my phrases that I tell myself when my anxiety spikes is that's not happening right now. Just kind of like mm. firmly, like that is not happening right now. So that's what I say to that. It's a good one. Um, okay, next fear. I am afraid of being a satellite or a rover that dies alone in <gasps> space or on the planet it's, it's exploring. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just hearing you say that sentence crushed my heart a it little bit. It's so, so sad. sad. So <gasps> there's something lonely about what if I don't want to be alone? Mm. Or actually, here's the fear. I'm a ma- I mean, I'm personifying an object, obviously OCD tendency. <laughs> I should not be doing this, but what if I'm the rover and they are sunsetting my mission, but mm-hmm. I am still alive. Oh. So I don't report back anymore. Yeah. But here I am. I'm still looking around. I'm still driving up the rocks. Oh, that's the rover equivalent of being buried alive. Oh my God, you're right. Okay. So maybe that's the fear, being buried alive. <laughs> Look, we all have that fear. <laughs> um, 
Aww. So, so like, you're, you, the rover, you're still around, but uh, the mission control has just stopped communicating yes. with you? They don't. And you just have to sing happy birthday to yourself exactly. every year? I just sing happy birthday. And I, what so if sad. I lose track of the days? The days are different on my planet. Yeah. And what if you find yourself in a little crater where you can't see the sun anymore and you don't know what time it is? Exactly. And what if there's a big dust storm and my solar panels are covered up and I slowly (gasps) die because I can't recharge? Oh, that's... My soul is is shivering I just feel bad for the little guy. Yeah. (laughs) That's not... I think this is more sad than scary, though. That's true. I'm not scared. I'm not spooked. Right. But maybe that is scary to be sad. Yeah, but sad. Like putting yourself <laughs> in that headspace, that would be terrifying. Yeah. And that happened. I think that, that happened. We uh, lost communication yes. with, with one of the rovers earlier this year or maybe last year. Yeah. And, like, it was still functional, but we just lost communication. So, um Corinne, one of your worst fears has been realized. It's been realized. And it's not me, let me remember. Um, I am not a machine on Mars. I am but a person here on Earth. (laughs) And I have plenty of ways to communicate with people. (laughs) Yes. Um, Good. So, so far, your uh, soothing affirmations are, it's not happening right now, and... I am not a machine on Mars. <laughs> not a machine on Mars. <laughs> exactly. I am merely a human on Earth. I'm walking out with a lot of affirmations. <laughs> Good. I think that'll be helpful um, <laughs> for us and and I, I assume for some of our audience members. <laughs> uh, okay, fourth fear. Um, and this is close to home. I'm afraid of extreme weather. So mm. I know on some of these planets, the wind is like 5,000 miles an hour or mm-hmm. more, or it's raining glass or it's raining diamonds. And these are, you know what? I can't even catch the diamonds and take them home. Like Mm-mm. they're not valuable there. Um, <laughs> it's because there's has no not economy there. Some, <laughs> some mass market campaign yeah. of, of scarcity. I'm looking at the upside. Maybe I could catch some of these and bring them home. <laughs> I think it's like when we remember how um, how Earth is paradise for us, for us humans. Yeah. For now. I mean, obviously, extreme weather is upon us. Um, mm. Oh, my God. But, Corinne, I just realized that all of Earth is the Garden of Eden. Yep, exactly. Huh. It's a good That's place nice. for us, and we, sh- we need to take care of it. Yeah, I'm just afraid of the, like, the places that are not suitable for humans are really not suitable for humans. Like, not, Mm. it's not like we're making a few concessions here and there. It's like, no, no, this is not suitable for anything you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That is scary. Yeah. To me, the really scary thing, though, is that we are, by our own volition, turning Earth more into (laughs) one of those planets. Yes, you're right. Yeah, and I I hate that. That scares me too. Mm-hmm. That is not a conceptual or hypothetical fear. No. That's a real thing that's happening. But we have no control over that. We individual people, Corinne and I, don't have control yes. over that. But humans as a whole do. They've been so. asking for our opinions, and we're just like, I'm not. <laughs> you got to figure this one out yourself. The head of the World Climate Change Committee at the UN calls us up. Like, Get them on the phone. <laughs> we want to talk. To the pale blue pod team. <laughs> they know about to this. To make change happen. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, I don't like that at all. But again, not an astronaut. I'm not Matthew McConaughey in 
that movie that I forget the name of, but Interstellar. <laughs> Interstellar. Oh, I still haven't seen it. One one of these days we'll do it. I do think that would be fun for us to do, but I remember it being long. But yeah. I might have been stoned. So, well, so was Contact. So Contact clear, was so and, long. And Valerian. Clearly these long movies don't yeah. <laughs> don't scare us away. <laughs> no, no, no. So then my final fear is hypothetically, I am mm-hmm. on the moon with my friends and I get distracted and I wander over to the dark side and I lose mm. communication with everyone. And then everyone leaves without me. <gasps> and that's a that's a show, isn't it? There's a oh well, there is the show Last Man on Earth when he is the last person on Earth. Oh, I thought there was a show where like the Russians sent people to the moon first, but then left them there. <gasps> I feel like that is a show, but I don't know what show. Yeah, but that is huh. my fear. That the yeah yeah space <laughs> the FOMO plus space like that it's it just FOMO amplifies and space, it and then it's also like again this rover thing of like i can't get in touch with the people i need to get in touch with corinne i'm sensing a theme here There's among a theme. your fears this is like one of those dreams where you just are not moving fast enough <laughs> i just can't get to my phone um oh. well uh perhaps it might help probably not this is just a, a semantics thing there is no dark side of the moon True. Yes. So you could go. You could go True. to the the far side of the moon um, and lose contact with Earth. But we have satellites and stuff that are like outside the Moon Earth system, so that's probably not an issue. I just wave. Just I just wave. Make at a the big Earth. fire. I hope that someone has a telescope pointing at me. <laughs> if you waving. You just you can just shuffle along. There's not enough wind there to to move stuff. So if you just shuffle along and make a big enough yes, message, an SOS, yeah. <laughs> that would have to be so big, so big. I could do it. It would, it would have to be, like a significant fraction of the face of the moon. Right. So you would be looking at a signal that's like a tenth the size of Earth. You know. Yeah. That. Okay, that's going to be pretty big, and I probably don't have enough snacks for that exertion. Yes. Although maybe it'll be easier to exert because of the gravity. Right, you're just hopping along. Mm-hmm. Although you can't, you can't hop. The, you have to scuffle. Yes. To to make the mark in the regolith. And you're gonna know. I'm gonna keep falling down. Mm. I just know it. Mm-hmm. You're not used to the gravity. No. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I can so, see why that would be scary. I don't want to do that at all. And those are my big fears for now. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So now it's my turn to rank these fears. Mm-hmm. So we have the coldness of space, mm-hmm. a comet hitting us, being, a, being an abandoned satellite, <laughs> yes. extreme weather on other planets, mm-hmm. and being, again, abandoned by this your friends, but person. on the moon. <laughs> but, oh, but this time you're a person with the psychological ability to recognize that you have been abandoned. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I think I've got to put the coldness of space as the least scary thing. Mm-hmm. Fair. Because it's pretty good that space is, yeah. is that cold. We probably would not have been able to do as much interesting astronomy work as we have if space were hotter. Yeah. Because sure. I imagine that like there would be more scattering of photons and electrons, the stuff that we're using to, to study and mm-hmm. see. So, yeah. All right. So I'm putting that as last. Next, I'm going to go being a 
abandoned by your friends as a human on the moon. <laughs> because uh, it's something I've experienced on Earth. And uh, I feel like I have, I can transfer those skills, yeah. those coping skills over. That makes sense. Um, and we already have a, a plan for how to get out. So, so that it's less scary now. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm going to go extreme weather because they're they're on other planets so Mm -hmm. it's probably not going to affect us that much but um i am sad that we're doing that to earth of course then i'm gonna go being a a satellite or a rover that gets abandoned because in this scenario i first have to be turned into a satellite or rover and any technology capable of that is truly terrifying yes yeah Mm -hmm. i left out the part where we've invented the tech Um, This is me trying to really engage with Mm -hmm. with the material. And then um, as my number one scariest thing, because this is actually something that could happen, although it's unlikely, is a comet or meteor coming to crash on the Earth and create another dinosaur situation. I don't like it. Mm -mm. They're going to dig up my bones and put them back together and imagine what I looked like. Yeah. And they're not going to know anything about your hair. I, yeah, so they're, they're going like, to give me scales when I have hair. <laughs> yeah, they really are. They're going to think of us all as like these these scaly, bald-headed yeah. creatures. They might not know we have eyebrows. <gasps> they totally wouldn't. They, pro- they might not know about nails. Oh my God, you're right. Mm-hmm. What do we not know about dinosaurs? So much. <laughs> Hello, fellow friends of the universe. Dr. Moya here. Corinne saw, like, a really cool headstone that she wanted to examine more closely. So I figured now is a great time to thank all of our patrons who support the show every single month. Thank you, as always, to our sun-like stars, Sharn Llewellyn, Lissa, Peyton, and Ian O'Leary. I love how this list has grown. You're all amazing. You all have really strong gravity, and uh, we love you so much. And also to our latest Red Dwarf star, Louie Hayes. I'm sorry I called you Lula. I think that's probably a sign that I should get my glasses prescription checked. So thank you for that. And thank you for supporting the pod. Uh, Everyone else, you can support us. You can hear your name on this podcast and you can make it to our patron star chart all by doing a very simple thing. Go to one website, uh, patreon.com, and support us for just about $1 per episode. And if you sign up for an annual membership, then you get a 13% discount across the entire year. That is one percent for every constellation in the zodiac so by signing up for an annual membership you save yourself money and you actually give us greater support because we know we can count on that for a whole year instead of month to month you can find that star chart you can find our patreon info and more cool things at our website palebluepod.com or go right to patreon.com slash palebluepod that is where you can support us financially and if you can't do that that's totally fine you are still space we love you so does the universe and there are other ways to support us you can do that by rating and reviewing the show on whatever podcast app you choose we would love to see more of those they make our week every single time they make our Hubble time. We'll do an episode on Hubble time so you know what that means. Uh, But it's a long time. It's the age of the universe. Uh, So do that. Rate, review on whatever app you choose or share the show with your friends. Like literally send the link to someone uh, you think would enjoy it. And we would appreciate any and all of those efforts. Thank you so much. 
Now, for a podcast recommendation, this is coming to you from the Multitude Collective. That's the group of independent podcasts that Pale Blue Pod is a part of. They give us a lot of support. We love them. Uh, This podcast that I'm recommending is called Tell Me About It, and it is a game show about proving that the things you like are actually interesting. It's hosted by Adil Rafai, uh, who you may have heard on Hello from the Magic Tavern or Hey Riddle Riddle, and Multitude's very own Eric Silver. Adil is, plays, he is, an eccentric billionaire who forces guests to come on the podcast to prove that their favorite thing is interesting and cool. Uh, They will go up against his favorite thing, which is the movie musical Grease, through a series of wild games and challenges put together by audio butler Eric Silver. The guests are scored based on the quality of their answers or whatever Adel is feeling at the moment. I was on an early episode of Tell Me About It where I was repping one of my life's greatest loves, Exoplanets, Adel gave me a lot of points. It's a lot of fun. Go go listen to it. I think it's called something like Dr. Moya McTeer Loves Exoplanets or whatever. Uh, you can think of Tell Me About It as like podcasting taskmaster or more like an in-depth conversation about something that your friend is super into mixed with hunting humans for sport. Yay, the most dangerous game. Uh, And the high scoreboard is filled with some of your favorites, me, Janet Varney, Jenna Stieber, who just started a brand new show on the Multitude Collective, Jeffrey Craner, Matt Young, more people, more cool, funny people. New episodes come out every other Thursday. The show is called Tell Me About It. It is the most fun podcast run by a multi-billionaire, and you should check it out on your favorite podcast app. Climate change is going to require collective action. But how can individual actions make a difference? On a new episode of Life Kit, we're walking you through what sort of climate-friendly choices can make an impact in your life and the lives of others. Listen to Life Kit, part of NPR's Climate Week, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Corinna's back. She does indeed have one of those, like, pencil um, etchings that she made of the gravestone. We're going to check it out later. But uh, let's get back to this spooky episode. Wow. Great list, Corinne. Thanks. Mm -hmm. And there's more to come. There's more to come because now (laughs) it's time for my five scariest things of space. In no particular order— because um, I just I just wrote them down as I thought of them. Here are the five things that I think are actually scary in space. Mm-hmm. The first is the great attractor. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned this ever so briefly in episode 11, where we were talking about the speed of us, like our velocity moving through space. So we know that space is moving. Space is dynamic. Things are moving towards each other, like Earth is moving around the sun. The sun is moving around the galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy is moving towards the Andromeda galaxy. Um, And when you add up all of that motion, like we did in episode 11, you get uh, a very fast speed, something like thousands of miles per hour, but it is not enough to account for the total velocity that scientists have measured um, for our motion which is something like 600 kilometers per second or 1.3 million miles per hour. That's how fast we're moving through space. That's Um, so fast. (laughs) That's so fast. And scientists figured that out sometime in the 70s, and they realized that we were moving towards uh, the direction of the galactic center. And not just us, like all the other galaxies in our local group, um, Andromeda, 
is one of those. Um, even our like local cluster or supercluster of galaxies, the Virgo supercluster, is moving towards this great attractor thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue back in the 70s was that it, it was moving in the direction of the galactic center, which we called very creatively, um, or ominously, actually, the zone of avoidance. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I want to I wanna listen to a band called the zone of yeah, avoidance. Yeah, there's got to be one. It, that, better it's be. funny to call it that when we have no control over this. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, In other words, that's just like the region of the galaxy towards the center where there's so much gas and dust and there are so many stars that we can't see it, at least in the optical part of the electromagnetic spectrum. So then in the 90s, once we started having um, stronger telescopes that can work in other wavelengths, we were able to peer into the zone of avoidance kind of for the first time. Um, You could do this with x-rays, which are really good at cutting through dust and gas, but the things that emit x-rays are like very young stars or very hot galaxies. They wanted to be able to see more than just those things Mm -hmm. because they were looking for all of the galaxies in order to map the structure of the universe. So instead they looked in the infrared, which also very good at cutting through dust and gas, but um, doesn't just look at the bright energetic stuff. So they did a bunch of surveys in the infrared and other parts of the spectrum where they were systematically observing different parts of the sky to almost count how many galaxies there are. And when they did that, they started to see the fractal structure of the universe. Um, Fractal because it's like the same pattern on every scale as you zoom out in space. So we started to see that all of the galaxies are actually arranged in something that we call the cosmic web. And we traced that shape, that structure, back to the beginning of the universe, to the initial conditions of all of the matter in the universe and how there were uh, very, very tiny deviations from like the same density. There were parts that were a little bit denser and parts that were a little bit less dense. In astronomy and physics, we call that an anisotropy. Um, anisotropy meaning like it's not the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. And over time, those little anisotropies, the over and under densities, they they grew. Um, so the over densities got even denser, the under densities got even sparser or less dense. And eventually you see uh, galaxies form into galaxy clusters, which form into super clusters of galaxies. Um, The super clusters, by the way, not gravitationally bound together uh, like the clusters of galaxies are. And then all of those super clusters are arranged in filaments that make up the web of the cosmic web. And the great attractor, as far as we can tell, is somewhere in the direction of the galactic center beyond even the biggest superclusters of galaxies that we've seen. Um, there's this one supercluster called Norma, named because it's in the Norma constellation. And that galaxy cluster has like 8,000 galaxies in it. Um, and it is moving towards the great attractor. So what we know about it, we can't see it, um, but we know that it is uh, like beyond the Norma supercluster, so it's more than 200 million light years away. And um, the other thing, this is, I think, the reason I think it's so scary, aside from the fact that it's so big and it's pulling us towards it, is that we are always going to be heading towards the great attractor, but we will never catch up to it. Um, because of dark energy expanding the universe and accelerating that expansion, the space in between us and the great attractor will continue to stretch 
uh, faster than we can traverse through it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that feels like a nightmare, that like a recurring dream where it's like you can't get there and you're trying so hard. Trying so hard. You're yeah. running towards the door, but you can't get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's the vibe that, that the great attractor gives me. Yeah. Whoa. I don't mm-hmm. want there to be a real version of that dream. No, <laughs> but there is. We're living it right now. But we can't tell. No, we don't yeah, know. you're right. It really doesn't affect my day to day, but it is right. scary to think about. That's what I was thinking. So it, so it had to go on the list. Um, and then the opposite to me is also scary. So uh, if material collects into these big superclusters and filaments, then it has to be gathered from somewhere. It has to be taken from somewhere else, leaving empty spots. And these cosmic voids are kind of everywhere. Um, they're most of the universe, uh, like 80% of the universe's volume is void. Mm-hmm. Um, we started discovering these cosmic voids in the 70s and continue to study them to this day. But they are cold, dark, relatively empty patches of space. Um, and when I say relatively empty, I mean there's like nothing there. Um, so in the air, in our Earth's atmosphere, in a single cubic centimeter of, of space, there are 10 to the 19 molecules. So, like, the least dense part of our planet, the air, still has, I don't even know what number that is, but 10 to the 19 molecules in one cubic centimeter. By the time you get out to a gassy region of a galaxy like the Milky Way, the density there is like one molecule per cubic centimeter. And and that's in a galaxy. So yeah. when you're talking about these voids, you're talking about, like, Maybe one particle or, or one molecule in like a cubic light year or something. That's so empty. It's very I empty. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, w- instead of thinking about it in molecules and like the density thereof, we can also think about this in terms of temperature um, because temperature is really just a measure of like how much energy there is in a system from motion of particles around moving around and these voids can be like a whole degree colder than the average temperature of the universe whoa yeah there are a bunch of voids that we have identified um i am fond and terrified by uh uh, fond of and terrified by the buotes void yes Um, well we've talked about buotes before yes Yes, we've talked about it because its name is disappointingly serious mm-hmm. and and not immature. But uh, it, it was discovered in 1981, and it's about 500 million light years away from us. And the void itself is 300 million light years across. For reference, the Milky Way galaxy is only 100,000 light years across. So if you Whoa. took a thousand Milky Way galaxies and lined them up end to end the wide way, <laughs> like you could fit more than a thousand of those into this void. Wow, that is so big. It's so big. It's so empty. And um, I actually, like, even if I really let myself think about it, I don't find it scary like it doesn't make my heart race or anything yeah. but i'm like why you gotta be out there it's it's like when you see a spider mm-hmm. out in nature not in oh, your home sure sure and it's out in nature and you're like well i don't 
want you to be close to me, but at least you're not like in my space, so right. you're fine. Right. That's how I feel about the Buotis void and, and all of them. Yeah, I get it. It's like, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to know about it, actually. Yeah, yeah. It can be there, but like, it doesn't have to talk to me. No. It, it shouldn't crawl on me. No. Really, really leaning heavily on the spider comparison there. As you should. There's As I this, should. The ultimate the, scary thing. I am scared. I am scared of spiders. Yeah. I don't like them at Mm-mm. all. Mm-mm-mm-mm. What if I own the scariest things in space and it's just listed the scariest things that on Earth? <laughs> it's, it's all I, space. It's honestly, all space. Corinne, part of me expected you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next episode. Okay, it's like the girl from the ring, spiders, <laughs> milk. Abandonment. <laughs> yeah. Milk. Uh, just don't make me drink a glass of milk. All right. <laughs> but like cereal's fine? I don't eat cereal. Really? Yeah. Fascinating. I, I guess I like I I would. I'm not averse to it. I just like don't really do it. All right. But milk right. makes me milk and eggs. Yuck. Oh, I've been getting very into chili crisp oil, and Ooh, yeah. Often I go I go back and forth on eggs. Sometimes it's all I can eat. Sometimes the mere thought is yes. enough to make me throw up. Uh huh. Um, I've like I've started doing the chili crisp eggs, and that's um, good. It's been a game changer for me. Yeah, that I'm really hot or cold on eggs, mm-hmm. but usually I'm cold. But I love them with like a spicy something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. chilies. All right, my third, my third scary thing in space: um, solar flares or any any sort of like stellar uh, flare with with magnetic activity. They, they spook me out a little bit. Um, so just so you know what they are, solar flares or stellar flares are caused by the motion of charged particles in the plasma of the star. And that motion will create twisted up interwoven magnetic field lines near the surface of the star. Those lines are moving, they're not stable. And so sometimes they can shift, they can break apart, they can recombine into other lines with other magnetic fields. And when that happens, there is a release of, of energy, of magnetic energy. And that release can be noticed by people on planets around those stars. So we here on Earth classify stellar flares by how bright they are in the x-ray at their peak. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are four, no, five different classes, A, B, C, M, and X. Okay. Why? They started with A, B, C. Why? And then went M, X. Yeah. It's like they, it feels they very had Roman a pattern. Numeral. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you're right, it does. It just feels like you had something going there. Yes. And, and you just decided to stop. Um, so A-class flares are very mild, X-class flares are the most extreme. So any type of solar flare that you've heard of in the news doing something to our electrical grid or our communication Mm -hmm. system, that's an X-class flare. The others aren't really strong enough to do something like that. Um, But in general, they aren't dangerous, not for us on Earth, um, because our atmosphere, our lovely, lovely atmosphere, blocks all of the extreme high-energy radiation. So the the X-rays, the um, ultraviolet rays get blocked by our ozone layer. So as long as we keep that strong, we are fine. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're not really in danger from these solar flares. But A strong flare can still ionize the upper atmosphere uh, on Earth, which can interfere with radio waves. So um, it might make it harder to communicate along certain like radio frequencies. So some of our communication might be down. Mm -hmm. Um, Sufficiently strong flares 
can produce magnetic field lines, like a whole magnetosphere that um, extends out to the Earth and interrupts our electrical grid because the magnetic field lines will literally interact with individual electrons as they flow through the grid. Like electricity is made by the flowing of actual electrons. So if the electrons get distracted, (laughs) then the electricity doesn't work. Yeah. (laughs) Um, One of the biggest flares ever recorded was in 1859. It was given a name, the Carrington Event, which is (gasps) an event. So dramatic, right? The event. Um, And it may have released as much energy as 10 billion megatons of exploding TNT at once. Yeah. Which is like bigger than um, any any bomb we've made. Quite explosive, really. Um, And that had some real consequences. There were people around the world reporting static on their phone lines. Some people even had like actual electric shocks, like real sparks coming off of exposed wires. (gasps) And there were people all over the world who said they could see aurora. Um, not just at like near the poles, but people everywhere. Oh, whoa. But that was like an X class 40 flare, like unheard of yeah. magnitude when the sun was already at or like near the peak of its um, electrical and magnetic activity cycle. So that itself was an outlier and even it wasn't that damaging. So I'm not really afraid of solar flares or stellar flares because of our position on Earth. I am afraid of them because I'm interested in the habitability of exoplanets. And for most of my career in grad school, people talked about M dwarf stars, the the really uh, low mass stars, as being dangerous for habitability because they have so many stellar flares. Um, They're just very magnetically active. And I just don't want that to be true. Um, I would be scared if magnetic activity of M dwarfs actually did limit the habitability of planets. Yeah, that would be a bummer. Yeah. Uh, My fourth fear, uh, again, something we don't really have to worry about here in our part of the galaxy, in our solar system, but gravitational interactions with rogue stars and black holes. Um, small little stellar mass black holes. There are about 100 million of them in the Milky Way galaxy, and they're so small that you can't really see them unless they're in a very, like, fortunate orientation. Like, if they're in front of something that glows so we can see their gravitational lensing, or if they interact gravitationally with something we're observing. But for the most part, there are, like, 100 million black holes just floating around our galaxy, and we don't know where they are. And they still have gravity. They're still as massive as our sun, you know, probably more massive, most of them. And in my PhD program, I spent several years looking at the consequences of gravitational interactions between stars and other stellar mass bodies um, to see how it could affect planets' orbits. Um, so I did this one project looking at the dynamics or like at the orbits of stars in different regions of the galaxy, one in the disk where our sun is and one in the center of the disk called the bulge. And what I found was that we don't have to worry about that here in um, the disk of the Milky Way. But in the bulge, something like 80%, four-fifths of stars can expect to have a really close uh, flyby from another star just because they're so tightly packed together. And if a star does come by your system 
Um, it doesn't have to touch your star. It doesn't have to touch any of the planets. Gravity is strong enough to mess shit up. So it could rip a planet away from its host star. It could just perturb a planet's orbit a a little bit so that like Mm -hmm. a million years after the interloping star has passed by, that planet's orbit is destabilized and it either gets flung out of the system or goes careening into its star Mm -hmm. or another planet. Um, If this flyby happens early enough in the star's lifetime, it could interrupt the planet formation process altogether so that you don't end up with any planets that should have been there. I just find that to be pretty scary, um, that a a star could pass by, and you don't even have to see it, but it could pass by and like interrupt Neptune's orbit so that in a million years, Neptune comes crashing into Jupiter. Like that's- Oh my God. Again, we don't have to worry about that Mm -hmm. here in our part of the galaxy. I I did that math for my dissertation (laughs) where I looked at the number density of stars in our region like we are safe but um the black holes could be anywhere um yeah so we like we don't know (laughs) I almost put black holes on my list too because I was like that would have been nice no I'm not the black holes themselves just the fact that they move and they have mass means that they could do this probably not almost certainly not Mm -hmm. but it could but it could. And it's mm-hmm. that could that that is so mm-hmm. unsettling. Yeah, it really is. Number five, my fifth scariest thing in space is the Perseus Cluster of Galaxies. Uh, it's about 250 million light years away. It is a massive galaxy cluster, one of the most massive that we've studied so far. It has about a thousand galaxies in it, and they're all gravitationally bound to each other. And the reason that I find this cluster, this specific cluster of galaxies so horrifying is just its looks. Um, I am judging it based on, <laughs> on its looks. Uh, there was a, a NASA A-pod, so a NASA astronomy picture of the day from Halloween in the year 2000. And that image was an X-ray picture of the Perseus cluster taken with the Chandra X-ray Observatory. And it shows the hot gas swirling around and through the galaxy cluster. And the shape of that hot gas just happens to look like a skull. Yeah. Like a gaping, eyeless, toothless picture. skull. And I hate it. I hate it so much because in my head, I look at that image and intellectually, I know, I know it's a thousand galaxies that are just bound by gravity. But I see the picture and I'm like, no, that's yeah. billions of souls yes. that are being tortured and are begging to escape. Yes. Yeah, your brain, I mean, is designed to find faces, and there's a face there. There's a face. A tortured face. Uh, I don't like it. That is very scary. Because it right? looks like something of fantasy. we got to include that picture on the Instagram. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, let's see. Ranking these. Mm-hmm. From least scary to most scary. Okay. Wow, this is tough, because these are scary. Yeah. Because I'm not scared by much yeah and i don't want to say that the my least scary one is not scary because it's still scary but Mm -hmm. like of these okay i think of these least scary to me is gonna be great attractor and i am scared of it because it's because i so many of my dreams are like i'm not moving as fast as i want to be or like I uh, am heading towards something and like, you know, the, the unknown of it. And like, I'm never going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is scary, but of these, least scary to me. 
Second scary is going to be, I think, solar flares. Ooh. By a hair. Okay. Because, well, I am very scared of losing communication or, like, you know, there being a big, a massive solar event. Yeah. From your list. As we know. Mm -hmm. But I think what beat it out just by a hair is just the voids. And I feel like both of those are in line with the fear of, like, being alone in space and not having communication. I think I'm more afraid of a void than a flare because I would be still surrounded by people in the event of a flare. Yeah. Yeah, you could still talk to the Uh people next to you. You just couldn't, like, call your friend. It would be scary to, like... South not Africa. have communication yes and like mm-hmm. lose access to the news and to my phone and to like anything that kind of helps spread info although that might actually kind of be a little nice like Ugh, a there's break. a part of me that would welcome a solar flare that just for like two days knocks out electronics so that we can all just unplug yes a forced kind of detox i love for mm-hmm. from phones like you can't go to work today the no the, Electricity is not working. <laughs> yeah, I can't even call out. So, <laughs> um, okay. And then it's going to be the Perseus cluster because it is very scary and it is real. And if I look at it too long, I'll be deeply disturbed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I can hear the shrieking souls. Yes. And I feel like it's looking at me if I look at a picture of it. Like, Oh, yeah. It, and it follows you. Yes. And then most scary is... Gravitational interactions with rogue stars or black holes. Mm-hmm. That is really frightening to me. And I, cause I also hate the long term, like the subtle long term damage. That was the insidious, scary part that I really gripped onto in my research. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's my big fear about obviously COVID or, or any disease of like, okay, I might be fine right now, but what is the long term implication of this? Mm. I don't like yeah. it. Yeah. I don't Good like ranking. It. Good ranking, Corinne. Yeah, spooky stuff. Very spooky stuff. There, There is actual scary stuff in space. Um, but I think hopefully after this episode, you've seen us list the scariest things we can think of. And with the exception of maybe one of them being the asteroids, like mm-hmm. we don't have to worry about any of these other things. Yeah, that's not for us. It's not, it's not happening right now. It's not <laughs> happening right now. And we are not a robot on Mars. Not yet, at least. Not until that very scary technology gets invented. Um, Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your list with me. How fun. Sharing your fears. Um, I don't want to end the episode on a scary note. I want to end the very exciting note of, you know, a topical discussion. Tomorrow is Halloween, if you are listening to this on the day it comes out. So what are you going to be dressing as, Corinne? That's such a good question, because I really want to be um, Strega Nona this year. <gasps> um, yeah. And there is a boy character in Strega Nona, though I have no idea what his name is. I just know he causes a lot of the trouble. So I'm trying to get my husband to be the guy, the boy from Strega Nona, and he <laughs> insists. He's like, no one knows who that is. And I was like, you're right, but this is, you still have to do it. <laughs> when has that ever stopped anyone from dressing as something for Halloween? Exactly. That's not the point. <laughs> He's trying to be the star. So I was like, I so why that. don't you be the spaghetti instead? And I'll be Shrek and Nona. Mm, both great options. You're yeah. giving him options, Corinne, I, I which is more exactly. than I would have done. <laughs> it's like a toddler. It's like, these are your choices. <laughs> the 
closest I have ever come to being a bridezilla is when I would get my ex to dress up in a couple's costume. Yes. And I was always very There's a vision like, drill sergeant. Yeah, I had a yeah. vision. And like uh-huh. I don't I don't care what you want to dress up no. as for Halloween. I have an idea and we have to match. Exactly. Uh, and they were they were all fantastic. I once made fake braces so that I could be Missy <gasps> from Big Mouth. Oh my god. To the point where someone I met at that Halloween party, like we went out for drinks or yeah. something later, he thought I actually wore braces. Wow, that's it. You're really going all out. I love that. <laughs> I really love it. And like I said at the top of the episode, I do Halloween. I do a whole week yes. of outfits. Um, some of them are more obvious than others. And I also dig into my like back catalog for, for most of that week. So um, I have a, a Miss Frizzle dress that I wear <gasps> yes. at least one day during Halloween, always. Uh, last year, I went as Tiana from Princess and the Frog, and I have oh. the poofy dress and everything, so I'll probably wear that again this year because it was really nice when people were calling me Your Highness as I walked mm-hmm. down the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this year my new costumes are going to be um, Wednesday Adams. Yes. I think I can really pull pull that off. Uh, I want to go as Velma Dinkley one day, another outfit that Velma. should be pretty easy. Um, <laughs> I, I made a, a joke to my friend about, you know, that like newscaster who dressed up in the black bodysuit with the with a pumpkin yes. face mask and he did the dance like that viral video. Yes. yes. Um, I joked about going as him to a friend um, and dressing as him for a presentation that I was going to give on Friday the 13th. <laughs> and then that joke turned into a reality. So now, now I have, have to reuse to. the bodysuit during Halloween. Uh, and, but then for my big my big costume of the year, the one that I would wear on like the Saturday of Halloween, mm-hmm. I haven't figured that out yet. It's, yeah. it's eluding me. Yeah. So if, mm-hmm. if you have ideas, Corinne or listeners, please let me know. Well, you don't have time. You don't have to. <laughs> well, for next year. For next year, yes. <laughs> let me know. Um, my criteria are usually that I want it to be someone that people recognize and like because I want them to call me out on the street and be very happy about it. Yes, that's a really good component of this. You want to be liked. Yes, yes. I want to be liked and adored and paid <laughs> attention to. Yes, <laughs> please. It's a simple ask. <laughs> It's not too much. <laughs> well, listeners, I hope you have a very happy Halloween. We're going to get a chicken Caesar salad wrap. And remember, wherever you are, your space. Yeah. And happy Halloween. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Pale Blue Pod was created by Moya McTeer and Corinne Caputo with help from the Multitude Productions team. Our theme music is by Evan Johnston and our cover art is by Shay McMullen. Our audio editing is handled by the incomparable Misha Stanton. Stay in touch with us and the universe by following at Pale Blue Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our website, palebluepod.com. We're a member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like Pale Blue Pod, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. If you want to support Pale Blue Pod financially, join our community over at patreon.com slash palebluepod. For just about $1 per episode, you get a shout out on one of our shows and access to director's commentary for each episode. The very best way, though, to help Pale Blue Pod grow is to share it with your friends. So send this episode, this link, to one person who you think will like it, and we will appreciate you for 
forever. Thanks for listening to Pale Blue Pod. You'll hear us again next week. Bye.